Hi, my name is Sam Williams, and welcome to part two of episode number 86 of my 60 music podcast, Millennial Throwback Machine. Hello, so first of all, I'd like to welcome all you to part two of episode number 86 of my 16 Music Podcast, Millennial Throwback Machine. I'm Sam Williams, and for those of you who are just now discovering this podcast, either on the Apple Podcast app, or on Stitcher, or on iHeartRadio, or on Google Play Music, or on Spotify, and you're wondering, so what the heck is, so I'm just going to give you a brief description of what the show's all about. Okay, so I'm Sam Williams, and I'm a 24-year-old songwriter slash producer, but I'm also a huge 16 Music fan slash expert slash nerd and each week of this podcast i just split the show in two parts and break down one song by one artist from the 60s first part is to talk about my opinion on the song and why i think it's so good or why i think it sucks and do my own personal analysis on the arrangement of the song which will include the chords melody, lyrics and the second part is to dig deep into the history behind that track in that part, I'll talk about who wrote the song, who produced it, who arranged it, what studio the song was recorded at, and who were the musicians on the track, whether it be the song with the band members or the session musicians, and the history behind the writer that wrote the song and the artists that recorded it, and where the studio of the song was recorded, located at, and also what label the song was released on, where that label was located at, and also the peak position the song made up originally on the Billboard Hot 100 chart, and the year and month song was released. All that is in the second part of the show. Moving on, let's talk about the history behind this specific artist. Because one might think that this uh, artist, which we did last week, which is Johnny Nash in the song that was Hold Me Tight. One might think that this uh, artist, Johnny Nash, was originally from Jamaica. Because that is where this specific genre of music came from originally. I mean... You know, everyone knows that reggae originally came from Jamaica, but you'd be surprised to find out that he was actually American, which is kind of ironic because Jamaican people were the ones who really started reggae. So you would think that the first ever artist to bring reggae into the U.S. on the Billboard Hot 100 chart was somebody that was actually from Jamaica. But he wasn't. He was actually from Houston, Texas. And I know you're probably wondering exactly, how did a guy from Texas get that Jamaican reggae sound on his records? And we'll go into that pretty soon. But first, let's talk about this artist and their somewhat humble beginnings and how they got started and how they wound up in Jamaica in the first place. Okay, so like I mentioned, he was originally from Houston, Texas, not Jamaica. But the other interesting thing about Johnny Nash is that in the beginning, he wasn't totally set on being a singer slash performer. He picked up on being an actor and was in the screen version of, a, of, the, of, at the time, a hugely successful stage play called Take a Giant Step. But was at first an artist signed to ABC Paramount putting out four albums, and then he released a series of sing- singles on a bunch of labels, specifically 20, between the years 1958 and 1964. And it was also around this time that he recorded an earlier version of Then You Can Tell Me Goodbye before it became a huge hit by the casinos. And I did that song on my podcast. If you go back um, some episodes from last year, you'll be able to hear me do my take on that song. And he wrote his first hit as a songwriter around that time, but not as an artist, for joining the Starlighters. And the name of that song was called What Kind of Love Is This? But after being fed up with being probably being signed to other labels... 
Um, for, and the reason why he probably didn't like being on our labels versus being on his own labels because he probably wasn't making that much money at all from being on those labels since it wasn't uncommon for artists to get shifted to their royalties back in those days. He formed his own label with a guy named Danny Sims. Now, granted, he was probably more than likely inspired to do that from guys like Sam Cooke and Ray Charles, who did the same thing earlier than he did. He probably wanted to start his own label and follow in the footsteps of those two guys, Sam Cooke and Ray Charles. And that label was called Jota Records in 1965. And one of the artists he signed was a family group from Rhode Island, a group that would later go on to have huge success as one of the first family group of young kids to have a top 10 hit record on Billboard. He signed the group and recorded and released a few singles with them, but when those singles didn't go anywhere, they parted ways with him and went over to Mercury Phillips and then MGM Records where they would have their first taste of real chart success. And that group was called the Cowsills. Now, if you're wondering exactly how the heck did a guy from Houston, Texas, who at the time was based in New York, you know, that's where his label was based out of, uh, you know, Jared Records, who was from New York, got into the Jamaican music scene. Well, it all started with his girlfriend because her family had ties with a guy who was a local TV and radio host and published novelist based in Jamaica named Neville Willoughby. And because of this connection, Nash was able to travel to Jamaica in 1968. And it was Neville who introduced them to a struggling group who were at the time calling themselves Bob Marley and the Whalers. And they showed Johnny Nash around the local music scene in Jamaica at that time. And coincidentally enough, Nash signed the group to an exclusive publishing agreement and recording contract through his label Jad Records at the time. And even though none of the recordings they released on his label were successful, their relationship will later go on to be very beneficial in the next decade once Bob Marley blew up. But it was also around this time that Johnny Nash went into Federal Studios in Jamaica to record what would be his first breakout hit in America with him being backed up by a local Jamaican group called Byron Lee's Dragonairs. The song was called Hold Me Tight and it was written by Nash and it was produced by him and Arthur Jenkins and engineered by Richard Alderson. The song was released in America in July of 1968, and by the fall, it went to the top 10, like October, September, making it one of the very first reggae songs to crap the Billboard Top 40, predating Israelites by Desmond Decker by a year and Wonderful World, Beautiful People by Jimmy Cliff by two years. Now, I want to make this clear. Now, Hold Me Tight was the first big reggae record to make the top 10, on Billboard, but like I said before, it wasn't called reggae at the time. It was called Rocksteady. And before that, it was called Ska, and then Ska eventually evolved into Rocksteady, and then Rocksteady eventually evolved into reggae. I want to make a full disclosure. An early, there, there was a song that predated Hold Me Tight by Johnny Nash that had elements of Ska, even though it wasn't an obvious Ska record, if you know what I mean. And that record was My Boy Lollipop by Millie Small. And that was produced by Chris Blackwell, recorded in England. Um, but again, like when you listen to that song, first of all, it's not my favorite. And I'll talk about it. You know, one of the episodes of my podcast was one of the songs I don't like. But really, that was one of those songs that, you know, was one of the first big pop records in America to have elements of Ska. But this was one that Hold Me Tight by Johnny Nash is the first huge pop hit on the billboard hot 100 chart that was had super it was obvious that it you know that it ha was essentially a ska reggae record by the time it was called rock steady but 
you know, a homie tight was the first one that had elements of it that was that made it considered obvious that it was in fact a reggae ska record. Whereas, um, my, uh, my boy lollipop by Millie Small, you know, had had you know had hints of that, but it wasn't super obvious that it was of that genre. So. If you think about it, not only was Johnny Nash one of the first non-Jamaican artists to record Jamaica, but he was also one of the first artists ever to break the reggae genre music onto the American pop charts back when nobody really knew about that genre music in America. Although it is widely known in the UK at the time, but definitely not in America. So, you know, not only he was the first American artist to record Jamaica, but he single-handedly brought that genre back to the States with his huge hit song, Hold Me Tight, which peaked in number five on Billboard, you know, it was a top ten hit record, so that's pretty groundbreaking if you ask me. Okay, so before we end this podcast, I have to talk with you guys about Johnny Nash's business relationship with Bob Marley because I had already established that um, Johnny Nash had signed his uh, vocal group, Bob Marley and the Whalers, to a recording deal and publishing uh, deal, you know, before Bob Marley was having any real success as an, an artist um, before basically anybody really knew who he was. And, uh, you know, and at the time, even though they really didn't have any success, uh, you know, at you know Bob Marley was still struggling, and so was his group, you know. Um, basically what happened was that, um, you know, once the 60s kind of turned into the 70s and Bob was still struggling to have, you know, any kind of major success as an artist, you know, both in the U.S. and the U.K., um, Nash had moved out of Jamaica and was recording in, in the U.K., and he recorded his breakout hit song that pretty much everybody knows at this point, you know, and that song was called I Can See Clearly Now. And at this, and basically what happened was that when he recorded that song, he needed a follow-up single because, you know, the you know I can see it clear now was dropping off the charts, and he need another hit song. Otherwise, you know, things would get, things would start and end with I can see clearly now. So he decided to record a song that Bob Marley wrote, and that song was called Stir It Up. Now keep in mind, uh, this he recorded Stir It Up, and had a huge hit with it in 1972, and this happened before Bob Marley. Uh, you know, one of his songs, you know, was recorded by Eric Clapton, you know, which would wind up becoming one of Eric Clapton's biggest hit songs, I Shot the Sheriff. And uh, basically, a Johnny Nash recorded Stir It Up and had a huge hit with that song before Eric Clapton recorded I Shot the Sheriff, which became Bob Marley's breakout hit as a songwriter in the U.S. And that's when people actually knew about him and that's when people discovered him. You know, so... Um, yeah, so he was no longer recording in Jamaica. no longer recording Jamaica, and he was recording in the UK. And uh, you know, it's interesting because you know, um, you know, Nash was an early believer in Bob Marley and really saw the talent in him before anybody else did. But interestingly enough, Marley didn't think that Nash knew or got his music very well, and thought reggae really wasn't his bag and he wasn't his idol. Which is funny him saying that because. You know, if it wasn't for Nash, you know, I'm not sure if people would have really known about Bob Marley because, you know, he covered one of his songs and then hit with it before his career really took off. And really, he he took a chance on him when nobody else would. So, you know, honestly, I feel like Nash was, you know, not only was Nash one of the first, 
you know, American guys to bring reggae to the States and record in Jamaica, you know, he also, you know, was single-handedly, you know, kick-started the career of Bob Marley by covering one of his songs and having a huge hit with it before Bob Marley even had his own success as a songwriter in the U.S. And, uh, yeah, so I, I'm pretty sure that, you know, Johnny Nash was very influential at the time, especially to reggae and ska. And, and you know, it's funny because he had that hit before Jimmy Cliff had Wonderful World, Beautiful People, and before Desmond Decker hit with Israelites and uh, the whole reggae, before the whole reggae ska thing took over in late 60s and early 70s. And also, this is also a precursor to what would happen with reggae and ska in the 80s and 90s when, you know, white people started to record, um, you know, songs that had that reggae ska groove and groups like No Doubt were starting to incorporate that sound into their pop rock records. And then all of a sudden you had this hybrid of pop rock and reggae and ska, you know, with songs recorded by No Doubt, which became huge hits in the 80s and 90s. And even groups like Blondie were also doing the exact same thing. But before all that, you know, there was Johnny Nash and Hold Me Tight. And that was arguably one of the first reggae records to become a huge hit in America. And, you know, you can thank Johnny Nash, honestly, for bringing that entire reggae ska sound that we so closely identify with today you can thank him for bringing that sound to the states because if it wasn't for him i'm not really sure if people would even know about american people would even know about that whole reggae ska you know rhythm that we so closely associate with people in today's world if it wasn't for him i don't think people in america would even know about it to be honest with you so that includes part two of episode number 86 of my 60 Music Podcast, the Millennial Throwback Machine. I'm Sam Williams, and we found out some really interesting, kind of cool facts about uh, last week's song, Hold Me Tight, and uh, last week's artist, Johnny Nash. You never really knew anything about them. Uh, please email me at samltwilliaicloud.com, and you can also reach out to me on Instagram at iheartoldies and check out more of my original music at samwilliamsmusic.net. Now, a couple of things are in the description of this episode of this podcast that are worth checking out that are part of this podcast are the official Spotify playlist for this podcast. There you'll be able to find all the songs I've talked about on my show so far, and also a YouTube duplicate version of that playlist is also available on there, just in case you don't have Spotify, and you still want to listen to the songs I've talked about on my show so far, you can go check that out on YouTube, and basically there, on both those platforms, you'll be able to hear all the songs I've talked about on my show so far, including some ones I've done interview episodes, so um, if you go do that, hopefully that'll give you some ideas as to which songs I should talk about next on my podcast that I haven't talked about yet. And if it does, please email those ideas to me at samltwilliaicloud.com or you can also reach out to me on Instagram at iheroldies and uh, send those ideas to me as well. Also, another really cool thing that's in the description of this episode of this podcast is the official um, brand merch for this podcast, which I have in a Redbubble online Redbubble store. Um, basically, the cat it's the catchphrase I say at the end of every episode and keep on trucking tie-dye font with the name of my podcast on the bottom. That's what the logo looks like, and there's a bunch of really cool merchandise items on there. Um, hopefully, you'll check that out, and if that... It, honestly, you don't have to buy anything from that store, but if you do... I would really appreciate that, but also I like you like to like for you to give me some feedback on some of the merch items in the store, as far as uh, the prices of each item in the store, and also logo itself. If you think that's cool, or if you think I should change it, um, but yeah, so those things are in the description of this episode of this podcast and last week's song. 
just in case you want to listen to it again and you forgot about it. Um, so yeah, so um, I'm Sam Williams, and thank you guys for joining me for this week's episode of my podcast, The Millennial Throwback Machine. Until next week, police! Keep things groovy.